We're talking about getting healthy. I am a firm believer that everybody ought to be healthy. I think you ought to try to exercise, at least some, get out and walk if nothing else. I believe in eating healthy. I do uh, kid a lot about it, but I'm very grateful for a precious wife who works on our meals to make sure they're nutritious and not just all processed foods and sugars. I'm very, uh, I am very supportive of joining a health club, whatever it takes. I mean, do it and uh, get healthy. I, frankly, I pray better. I worship better. I serve better when my body feels good. It's just a fact. And I'm a firm believer in uh, making sure that we do everything we can to get this body in good shape. However, the Bible talks about the fact that a man is actually, mankind is made up of three parts. We're not just a body. We actually have a, an inner part. Uh, this inner part is called the soul spirit. And the Bible actually makes a difference between the two. And the soul would maybe be more the mind. And the spirit would be just really hard to explain other than the fact that it is a it is a being inside of us that can understand morals and can understand there's a God, which makes us different than an animal, than a plant. Uh, they may have a mind, but they don't, and they have a body, but they don't have a spirit. However, uh, the mind is not just gray matter. It's not just something you can touch. It's actually, there is a, an invisible part of the mind. And there's a, and that's actually what the Spirit is. The Spirit is invisible. That's why it's like God. The Bible tells us that you can't see God. He's a Spirit. That's His nature. Mankind is made in the image of God. So having a mind and having a Spirit, they are inseparable. Nobody can separate the mind from the Spirit. It's just impossible. We're told in the book of Hebrews there's only one thing that actually can do that, and that is the Word of God. It says, dividing asunder even of the soul and spirit. It has that property. Now, while the body is important, and let's say, let's even give it one-third importance. Then the other third is the mind, and the final third is the spirit. But I would suggest that actually it's probably uh, maybe more like 10% the body of its ability to affect the way we think. Most of us when we have stinking thinking, it's not because of our body, it's not because of some chemical imbalance, it is mostly, almost always, 90% of the time, I'm sure, it is because of something going wrong in the brain, in the mind, in the spirit. This would be what we would call mental health. Now, mental health affects how we think, it affects how we feel and how we act, it determines how we handle stress, how we make choices, how we relate to others, and really most importantly, good mental health helps us to connect with God. Mental health is important at every stage of life. Certainly, even little children need to have good mental health. Uh, teenagers who often suffer, our adolescents, and then young adults, no matter what age we are, we need to have good, positive mental health. Now, for those of you that text, uh, 
You perhaps have had someone text you or maybe you've texted somebody else and said these words, are you okay? Are you okay? And that's actually a, a good thing to be able to ask somebody and it's really nice when somebody asks you that because it helps us to kind of stop and maybe just say, hey, am I okay? Am I in a good place mentally? Now, I might be in a good place physically, but how am I in you know, what effect is this work? You know, we, we'd like to blame our work or we'd like to blame this or that. And sometimes those conditions can be very terrible. But the fact is, our mental health is very important. The Apostle Paul was concerned with a church that he had helped start in Philippi. Uh, and he said, I'm, I'm very concerned about you. And in chapter four, he takes several verses and he said, I want you to think good. I want you to have a good I want you to be in a good place mentally. And so as we go through those verses, we have discovered that there's at least seven ways, seven biblical ways, and to really have good mental health. And so basically he said, I want to start a conversation with you. I want to ask you the question, are you okay? Because you need to, you need to wrap your head around this thought. I want you to have good mental health. And so that's what we began last week. Today, we will finish at the Lord willing. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this great uh, reminder how important it is to have a good, be in a good place mentally. Thank you, God, that you've given us a body, and we enjoy so many things with this body. But thank you, Lord, for the mind, that seed of our emotions that so often are so pleasant. Lord, uh, uh, that mind that so often enjoys, Lord, something beautiful or hearing something. But Lord, thank you for our spirit. That is so important for good mental health. I pray the Lord you help us to get a good grip on this and a handle in Christ's name. Amen. By the way, um, I was told to tell you that if you normally take your notes, uh, via the app, the church app, the, it's down today, so we're sorry about that. But it does bring up a point, and that is that, you know, I know sometimes you want to listen to the message again, or you'd like to share it. And you can certainly always just get a CD. If you have a CD player, you can put it in. Or you can go, we have a podcast, and you can get that podcast, whether you have an Android or a uh, Apple operating system on your phone, and just go to that the podcast and then the home church uh, Lodi, and uh, you can listen to it over and over again, no charge, and you can tell others about it, say, hey, you can even copy the, uh, whatever they call it, the little, what do you call it, the, what is it called, URL? Okay, copy that, the little address, the little IP address or whatever they call it. Anyway, put it in and you can paste it, to send it to somebody and say, hey, listen to my, uh, this message that meant so much to us. And so, uh, all right, let's uh, do a little review here. Last week we found from Philippians chapter four and verse number one, Paul said, stand fast, meaning be relentless in your dedication. If you want to stay healthy mentally, you've got to have an active devotional life. Personal devotions is so important. And there's no way to really have, be healthy place if you're not really talking with the Lord. Number two, be selfless in your connection. I mean, we can't be self-centered and have, be a good place mentally. We reminded ourselves that helping others helps us and doing good does us good. And then number three, Paul said, rejoice. And in case you didn't hear me the first time, rejoice. 
be ceaseless in your jubilation. That is to find purposeful joy and find it in God. I may not be able to find it in my circumstances, but I can certainly find it in God. And in so doing, spread the joy. Folks, I just want to encourage all of us to be warm people. Don't be fussing, old, bitter, young, bitter, whatever bitter. Just don't be mean, bitter people, okay? Especially as Christians. I mean, they, people already think we're haters, but, you know, we should make sure they all know I don't hate unrighteousness because I'm just a hater. I hate it because it destroys families. I hate liquor because of what it does to people dying on crashes and what it does to families. I don't just hate liquor. We hate sin because of what it does. And so let's be warm and friendly and outgoing and smile. And let's be the friendliest people in our community, in our neighborhood, in our in our work, wherever. Be ceaseless in your jubilation. And then number four, be limitless in your humiliation. God said, let your moderation be known to all men. Let everybody know you're a moderate person. We discovered that doesn't mean a sissy, a girly man. Uh, that means you basically are willing and understand the value of letting go. Moderation, really, uh, the uh, the Greek uh, wording there means to let go and let God take up your cause, and He can take care of it. All right, let's get a handle on three more steps. Number five, be fearless in your conviction. Be fearless and stand on your conviction. And that's what He says in verse number six. And let's all say these uh, four words together there, just the six part A. All right, ready, begin. Be careful for nothing. Let's say that again. Be careful for nothing. Do all you can to avoid being a worried person and to have distracting thoughts during the inevitable challenges of life. And life is going to happen. And it's going to come at us fast sometimes. And God said, just don't worry. Don't worry. Those words there, be careful for nothing, are exactly the same words, exactly the same Greek phrasing as in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, where Jesus said, take no thought for your life. He was there on that Sermon on the Mount trying to encourage the people. And he said, don't take any thought for your life. That is, say no to worry. Say no to fretfulness. In fact, in Matthew 6 there, four different times he says the same phrase, take no thought. Take no thought. Now, translated in the English way, we would just simply say, don't worry. Four different times. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. That's the, what you should do. You should walk around telling yourself, don't worry. Don't worry. Trust God. Trust, maybe, maybe better to do more positive. Just say, trust God. Trust God. Trust God. And that's what he's saying here. Why, doesn't, why does Jesus say, don't worry? Well, because it doesn't do you any good. Worry is like a rocking chair, it's been said. Gives you something to do but it doesn't get you anywhere. And that's, what, that's exactly what worry does. In fact, mostly worry is based in fear and is without any basis. There were two gas company servicemen, a supervisor and his young trainee. They were checking out meters in a certain neighborhood. They parked their truck at the end of the alley and worked their way to the end. Finally, they got to the last house. A woman had been looking out her kitchen window the whole time, watching the two men as they were checking the different gas meters, and they saw 
she saw her check her gas meter. Well, as they finished the gas meter, the uh, checking of it, the older supervisor challenged the younger co-worker to a foot race down the alley, back to the truck. And so they come running back to the truck and realized, as they looked behind them, there was this lady from that final house huffing and puffing right behind them. They stopped and said, what is wrong? And she, gasping for breath, she said, look, when I see two gas men running full speed away from my house, I figured I'd better run too. (laughs) That's what you call fear. Fear is an acrostic, really. False evidence appearing real. And that's what she had. She had false evidence, but it sure appeared real. But you know, that's really the basis of all worry. It's just false evidence that appears real. Now, it is our Christian duty, and it is our best interest to live without worry. But actually, there is good worry, and maybe I should clarify this. There is actually good worry. It may sound strange to say that a pastor here, pastor, say there's such a thing as good worry, but there really is. Perhaps you might look at somebody you love, and you're concerned about them, and you might say, I'm worried about you. It's kind of like saying to somebody you love who does something real good, I'm proud of you. You're not feeling... You're not saying I have a, an unhealthy pride. I just, I'm proud of what you did. It just makes me glorify the Lord. And it's the same thing is true. Good worry is just, really is just diligence. It's wise planning. It's due concern. And it's correct. I've had some people kind of have a little short on the diligence uh, factor. And they'll say, so, well, don't worry. Uh, I think we do need to worry about this. This is one of the times you do need to worry. I remember watching, I've never seen a lot of those reality shows, they really don't, much of them don't appeal to me, but I did remember watching one and for a few, uh, time and uh, for a few minutes, and it was pretty interesting. It was, they had several couples, families, who had agreed to live in Montana through a winter, and they agreed to live uh, without any uh, form of modern uh, conveniences, no electricity, no plumbing you know, no gas, nothing like that. They just were going to live like they might have lived 200 years earlier. And so they would win a prize if they could last the entire winter without any, you know, just living off the land. And so they gave them time to prepare, you know, several months in advance. And uh, so everybody got to work. And most of them, you know, they, they got out there and they cut, you know, a few some wood and some cut, you know, maybe a cord of wood. Others maybe cut a couple cords of wood and they tried to make sure where they were going to stay, they had enough uh, wood. That was pretty much the main thing because you had to have that to stay warm, to have light. And that was just such an important part, especially in those Northern states uh, during the winter. I mean, it's, you're going to need it all winter long. And so, but, and I remember watching and only one family had prepared enough. They, only one family was worried enough the father said, look, one cord's not going to do us. Two cord's not going to do us. He was a worried kind of guy. And uh, he had four or five cords or whatever it was, or six cords. I don't remember. But he just thought, you know what? If we have the worst winter on record, I'm still going to be prepared. That's good worry. And that's a healthy kind of worry. But then there's bad worry. It's unhealthy. It is basically distrust. And the only thing it really accomplishes is just confusion and more distraction for the mind. And I love how one poet described the difference between good worry and bad worry. 
He explained it this way, for every evil under the sun, there is a remedy or there is none. If there be one, try and find it. If there be none, never mind it. (laughs) There you go. In other words, if something that you can fix, fix it. If you can't fix it, then worry's not going to fix it. I mean, there's no need to worry. I like what one country theologian said. He said, if it's going to happen, worry ain't going to stop it. And if it ain't going to happen, there ain't no need worrying. That's pretty good philosophy right there. Good theology, amen. Worry is very harmful to the mind. Mental health is what we're talking about. We're having a conversation about it. You know, the word most often used for worry in uh, Scripture is the word maranaro. And maranaro is a word, it actually comes from two Greek words, and it means to divide the mind. It's similar to what is pronounced in James chapter 1 and verse 8, where James, the brother of Jesus, said a double-minded man or a divided mind is unstable. And notice in that verse, if you will, it says unstable in all things, not just theologically or spiritually, but really it becomes very unstable mentally when we're divided. What is a divided mind? Well, hope and trust takes one hand and fear takes the other hand and they pull in opposite directions. That's a divided mind. Frankly, for a believer, it's an insult to God. It's like saying, God, this problem is beyond you. It's way bigger than your pay scale, God. I just don't believe you can take care of this. When Jesus addressed worry, he said this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 32, he said, all these things that you're worried about are what Gentiles seek after. Now, that was a nice way of saying heathens or pagan. He said, you are acting like a bunch of pagans when you worry. They don't have any trust in God. Don't act like them. Good mental health affects everything. It affects how we think. It affects how we feel. It affects every area of our life, how we make choices, how we handle stress. Good mental health is so important in our relationship with God. Be fearless in the conviction. I am going to trust God. God simply said, be anxious or don't worry about anything. There's a good worry that's healthy. That's called diligence. But there's a bad worry that's based on false evidence, and it is surely going to mess you up. I like what John Hagee told the story of a woman who had worried, worried for 40 years that she was going to get cancer. Every pain in her stomach, she'd run to the doctor. Doctor would examine her. No, it's not cancer. Every pain in her leg, she would, you know, go to the doctor. Maybe it's cancer, and he'd say no. And uh, finally, she did die. She died at 73. Died of pneumonia. <laughs> she had worried for 40 years over the wrong disease. <laughs> And that's so many of us, you know, we're worried about cancer or we're worried about that. And in the end, it's something else. Worry is a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And really, it comes down to a distrust of God. And that's why Paul said, folks, stay mentally healthy and happy by not worrying. Be fearless in your conviction that God will take care of you. Number two, be tireless in your petition. Fearless in your conviction and tireless in your petition. Let's say, let's read together the balance of verse six, if you would, please. Ready, begin, out loud. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. All right, he said, I want you just to pray about everything. Now we ought to have regular times of prayer. We talked about that. I believe every morning you ought to have a time of prayer or night, whatever, or middle of the day, whatever is your time. Usually best in the morning. Scripture often talks about people who rose up early, but whatever the case, whatever the time, make sure that you spend some time with the Lord in a regular time of prayer. But in addition to regular times of prayer, we ought to pray about everything. I mean, really, that's what it simply says there. It says, but in everything. The fact is, if it's big enough to burden the mind, it is big enough to give to God. If it's a burden, give it to God. Casting all your burdens upon Him. Good mental health means, Lord, I just give you this burden. Now, every day I have a burden. There's always a burden. The only way that I can get around it and still function is to give it to the Lord. With a large family, uh, you know, large families are huge blessings. And it's the joy, you know the joy maybe you have in one child or one brother or sister or one family member. Well, if you multiply that by two, you get double joy, three, triple joy, ten, I mean ten times the joy. But the other side of the coin is also the case. And in the insurance industry, they call that exposure. You know, you have one family member, you have a certain manner of exposure. You have 10 family members, you're going to have a bigger amount of exposure, you know. And uh, some people just, they just could never have such a family. It just freaks them out. You know, there's too much exposure out there. Well, if you then get 10 and they start having grandkids, and then, of course, as a church, I'm so burdened about so many people. And every day, I could pretty much just have the worst day of my life. Because there's, every day I feel a burden. I start hurting for somebody. People who are sitting home right now, just, you know, sick at their stomach because of cancer treatment. Others who are just so burdened. I mean, people that, you know, just hardly have hardly anything to uh, eat or just uh, they're so struggling in so many areas. Other people that just have just terrible, you know, mean husbands or fathers or mothers or grandmothers or brothers, people that are crazy, just, you know, causing so much struggles. And, you know, I mean, honestly, every single day, and then the worries, I mean, how are we going to keep, you know, uh, several million dollars a year just coming through every year, year after year? I mean, how are we going to finish this thing? How are we going to keep everybody and you know, all these people getting checks and salaries? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Now, every single day, I honestly could have the worst day of my life. I could think about all the things I wished I could be doing or had the ability to do, and then your own pains and your own body. So the only way I know to handle that is just to give your burdens to the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean I just stop praying. It doesn't mean I don't carry a burden. It just means I let him carry the burden. I still keep the burden. It's a prayer burden, but the pain of it is the Lord's. The stress of it is the Lord's. The concern of it is the Lord's. I'll keep the burden because I feel like that's the Lord's put a burden on my heart. And like first John says, there comes a time when God says, don't pray for that person. And he said, I can't really tell you when that is, but the Holy Spirit will tell you don't pray. And then, you know, it's time to back off. But, and until then I carry the burden, but I don't, I don't carry the, and there is a pain to it, but I have to give it to the Lord or I couldn't function. 
I mean, every Sunday I go home from church and I'm so excited and happy what God does, but at the same time, you feel so burdened, a heartache with people that have issues. But that's what I say, and that's what, and I have no fight with psychology and psychiatrists and psychologists. I have no fight with them. And in some cases, I think they actually do some good. But even at best, and many times they don't, but even at best, they only can give a temporary solution. And I'll tell you why. Because no psychologist, no psychiatrist, I know, maybe there may be a few, but none of them actually give the, the spiritual answer. And since we're made of body, soul, and spirit, then even at best, it could only be a two-thirds answer. Even if they gave them a perfect answer for their body, a perfect answer for the mind, but if you neglect the spirit, then you do the best you can. That's what I tell people that are in the health uh, industry in our church. You know, really, I mean, you're doing the best you can, but unless they allow you to give them spiritual help, your hands are tied. The best you can do is maybe make them comfortable, help them so that you can get them a place where they can get the gospel or something. But you know, we need to make sure that everything we do, we help people get a real answer, and that is the answer from Jesus Christ. Pray about everything. Just pray about everything all day long. Paul said, in everything by prayer and supplications, pray without ceasing, he said to the Thessalonians. Just, just don't even stop praying. Just pray about everything. Lord, help me as I talk to this person here. Lord, help me as I make this order. God, help me figure this thing out. Just pray all day long. Have a running conversation with the Lord. I know some people will say, well, now, pastor, I just don't believe in bringing all that small thing to the Lord, only the big things. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you tell me anything that is big to the Lord? Everything is small to the Lord. And the fact is, my big things, they're still way small to the Lord. I remember reading the story, one missionary's account of how God really taught him how to pray. He was out in the jungle and out there walking along and a lion just began to charge them. And he cried out to God, oh God, deliver me from this lion. And unbelievably something happened and that lion ran off and they were just rejoicing. Went back to the missionary compound, thanking God, praising God, went back to the missionary huts there and went to sleep. And all night long he fought with a mosquito. I mean, all night long, just fought with a mosquito, just bugging him, buzzing in his ear, just hardly could sleep, just was so irritating. He woke up in the morning and he sensed the Lord's rebuke. He felt like the Lord said to him, you know, you prayed and asked me to take care of the lion, but you thought you could handle the mosquito by yourself, didn't you? And the fact is, you know, we need God's help with the lions, don't we? But we need his help with the mosquitoes. Ralph Cushman said this, I met God in the morning when my day was at its best, and his presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long the presence lingered, all day long he stayed with me, and we sailed in perfect calmness o'er a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered, other ships were sore distressed, but the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us peace and rest. And then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mine, when I too had loosed the moorings with the presence left behind. So I think I know the secret, learned from many a troubled way. You must seek him in the morning if you want him through the day. Now I want you to notice three different words in this verse that God uses for prayer. He said, pray about everything, 
with supplication and thanksgiving, prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is just getting quiet, is just contemplating on the God. In this verse, the word means to just get close to God, to know the heartbeat of God. The word supplication means asking God. It's a specific request. And so, first of all, I'm just going to be comfortable knowing God, being in his presence, cuddling. My wife and I, sometimes she'll say, I just, you know, we'll be sleeping and she says, I just want to cuddle. She just wants to cuddle them. That's just literally what that verse means. It means just like coming up next to the Lord and just cuddling, just kind of listening to him, hearing his heart. Then it's supplication, a specific request. Last night I kind of whined and said, honey, we got all these beautiful apples from Apple Hill. I'd sure love to have an apple pie. And she looked at me, you know, bleary eyes, middle of the night, an apple pie. Sunday morning, you want me to cook an apple pie? And I said, well, I don't know. I mean, it'd be, t- it'd be hard, I know, but I'd sure love an apple pie, honey. And, uh, and so I came down this morning, and I looked in the oven, and sure enough, she had a fresh apple pie. And uh, that, thing's, uh, that thing's starting right about now. And when I get home, I'm going to have a big old apple pie, and you're not invited. And uh, I know what you're thinking. They said, no. But anyway, um, now I'm, that is, that, now that's what I'm talking about. That's just, that's a specific request. And uh, yes, we cuddled, and then that's a, that's, we had prayer, then that's supplication. And then there's Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for a good wife. And uh, Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving really is the highest expression of our faith. Did you know actually that the word thank is very close to the word think? It really is. More than just one uh, letter difference is actually very close in what it means. Thank and think. Well, pastor, I don't know. I just, I look around me. I just don't think I have as much to praise the Lord for as other people. Well, now let me read you a verse. Psalm 68 verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. You know what that verse said? God said, if you would look in the back of your wagon, it is loaded down with blessings. Everybody, everybody here is blessed. Everybody, everybody. If we're too, and if you're too blind to see it, I feel very sorry for you because we are so blessed. I mean, even just walking there to a faucet and turning it and getting cool, clear, fresh, Clean water is an amazing blessing. There are so many people all over the world don't even have that. And God said, if you'll just thank the Lord, here's what's going to happen. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which which passes all understanding, and like the old country lady said, all misunderstanding too, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, that reassuring sense that I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven I have everything I could possibly want. God said we ought to just thank him every day for the fact I'm saved, going to heaven, and thank him for everything that's around us. I mean, just thank you, Lord. You've been so good to me. We're always in such a hurry, we don't even thank the Lord. We're a country of shortcuts and fast lanes. I read one author that said, we're the only nation on earth that has a mountain called Mount Rushmore. (laughs) And we're rushing around, losing our peace at the same time. Be fearless in your conviction. Be tireless in your petition. And number three, be dauntless in your protection. That is, guarding your thought life. How many have ever flown on an airplane and you had to go through security? You ever raise your hand? Okay. 
All right, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, those lines can be sometimes not too bad, but most of the time, I mean, it's a bugaboo. And I never get it right. Sometimes they want you to take your shoes off. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they want you to put your laptop here. Sometimes they want, they don't care. I mean, it's just every time. And every single time I have to tell them, I have to say, your thing's going to go off. They say, why, sir? It's going to go off because I, I have an Elvis pelvis. And uh, <laughs> what do you mean an Elvis pelvis? Well, when I, I got a fake hip here about 10 years ago, and it was so stiff and, uh, but boy, when I got that new, it's metal and I got that new, it's, it's a new hip. And boy, I mean, the first time I started walking that thing, I was going, whoa, and, uh, whoa, whoa. And, uh, so that's my Elvis pelvis anyway. And, uh, so when I go, when I go through the security, I tell them you're going to, it's going to go off. Why, sir? Cause I have a problem right here. I got a, I got a, I got a hip. It's a metal hip. Yeah, you got a metal hip, really. I'm, I bet you do. And uh, I do have a metal hip. And then they run the thing over it. Okay, come over here, sir. And uh, every time, Pauline has to wait about 10 minutes. <laughs> Hi, Annie. I see you. I'll see you. I'll, I'll visit you in jail. And, um, but going through security, here's what happens. You go through security and make sure that you check it. Don't let anything through that's firearm, don't let anything that's explosive, don't let anything through that's not approved. God says, be like the security guard at the airport for everything that comes into your brain. Think on these things. Let's look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. What is filling your mind? Have you ever talked with somebody and you just tell something's on their mind? Just what's on your mind? What is filling your mind? Paul said, here is a checklist for what you're thinking about. A good six-fold test for mental health. Does it, was, what I'm thinking, does it encourage biblical accuracy? And I love the way this uh, outline came out, I'm grateful to having go through it because it really, I think, clarifies what, the, what Paul is saying. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, the word there is accurate. Is it biblically accurate? Is it correct? Is it factual? Does it present a correct view of God or is it a warped view of God? And so often our view of God is, God's this big, this is my God, God, hey, God couldn't handle that. Folks, we serve a big God. How many would say amen to that this morning? We serve a big God. Amen. Okay. How about, how we serve a big God? Amen. amen. All right. That's good. We serve a big God. We, we serve, a, we're in, live in a generation where people are more interested if it works than if it's accurate or if it's true. And God said, look, just make sure that it is accurate, biblically accurate, because anything other than that is just going to be a problem. Number two, does it encourage obedience? Whatsoever things are honest. There's a difference between biblically accurate and then being obedient, ethical and legal. Honorable actually is the word there. Whatsoever things are honest or honorable, worthy of occupying our time. Something may not be illegal, but is it ethical? Is it something I should put my mind and thoughts on? Sometimes 
you know, uh, is it honorable? Sometimes things may not be so vile, but they're just stupid. There's no necessity to just dwell on them. I heard the, little, the story of a little boy and a pastor. They both went to see the beautiful, magnificent Grand Canyon. The very storied and successful theologian wrote back to his wife and said, today I've seen the handiwork of God. I've seen God as he put his colors on the palette. He took his fingers and sculptured a masterpiece and wrote out these amazing, sweeping descriptions of the Grand Canyon. The little boy wrote back to his mom and he said, Mom, guess what? Today, I found out I can spit a mile. <laughs> and the fact is, sometimes we can be surrounded by beauty and not even see it because we're so interested in things that don't really mean anything. Does it encourage propriety? Number three, does it encourage propriety? Whatsoever things are just. The word actually means straight. Is it straight? Now, we live in a society, especially here in America, where people use the word straight as opposed to something else when they talk about someone's uh, sexuality. The fact is, we're all born straight. <laughs> we just make sinful choices and sad sinful choices. But straight actually is, is a good terminology because meaning it is appropriate. And God wants us to think, uh, he talks about being single-minded and focused and the, the the point here is it ought to be appropriate, good thinking that is straight, uh, in line, not crooked, not off. Number four, it does encourage healthy behavior. Whatsoever things are pure, free of contamination, is it uh, good enough? And actually, the word here is the same word used as a sacrifice, like offering a pure sacrifice to the Lord. And so, could I offer this to the Lord? what I'm doing and what I'm thinking about it. Could I, could I say, Lord, I just thank you. I just worship you. I just, I invite you into this moment. Or, boy, I sure hope God isn't watching. Number five, does it encourage genuine love? Whatsoever things are lovely. It doesn't mean beautiful. We might imagine it to mean that. But it means, does it cause love? Does it cause you to love? If there's something that is causing us to criticize and to judge and to gossip, that's just can't be good things to think about. God wants us to uh, think about good things. Now, we can't always like everything everybody's doing, but we can certainly love them. And then finally, number six, does it strengthen the soul and spirit? What sort of things are of good report? It's actually a very interesting Greek word. It means high-toned, high-toned as in a, a higher note. Taking the high road, we might say. Sometimes people just spend all their life just going around spreading gloom and doom and gossip. And we should not let them make a wastebasket out of our ears for that junk. Folks, just refuse to hear it, refuse to say it for sure. We cannot control our mind by keeping it in neutral. Paul said, be active on these things. Be proactive and make sure that you challenge like, a, like going to the security gate. Make sure that you challenge every thought that you're actually thinking about. Now, actually, the way to think about something good or the way to keep from thinking something bad is by actually thinking about something good. Let me explain what I'm saying. If I were to say, uh, you know, the uh, 
we're here and we say, okay, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to think a bad thought. Well, that's actually not the best way to do it. We ought to think good thoughts. If I was to say, don't think about a submarine right now. Don't think about how long they are. Don't think about how they go into the water. Don't think about the periscopes. Everybody in this room is thinking about submarines right now, aren't they? Because if you say, don't think about submarines, what do you do? You immediately start thinking about submarines. The only way to not think about submarines is to start thinking about something else because the way the mind works is it is impossible to think about two things at the same time. It's just, they just replace one another. And that's why Paul was saying, he said, think on these things. Don't think on those things. Think on these things. Think on the positive things. Now, one last thing he said, verse nine. Okay, none of of all these seven things we talked about works unless you work it. Look at verse nine. Let's read it all together. Ready, begin. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Do it. Nothing works unless you work it. God said, you've got to do this now. Paul said, get busy, practice this, make this a part of your life. At the entrance of one of the greatest, largest manufacturing plants in America, they have a well-known sign, been there for all these years. A sign there in the beginning, you walk in the office and here's the sign. If you are like a wheelbarrow, going no further than you are pushed, you need not apply for work here. Don't be a wheelbarrow, Christian. I'll only go as far as I'm pushed. No, Paul said, I've done all I can do. I've preached it. I've said it. You've watched it in my life. Now you've got to do it yourself. That's a great thing to encourage us to do. Be relentless in your dedication. Be selfless in your connection. Be ceaseless in your jubilation. Be limitless in your humiliation. Be fearless in your conviction. Tireless in your petition. And dauntless in protecting the mind. Would you bow your heads with me, please?